Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 25th, 2017. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are beginning Chapter 1, Bill's Story on Page 1, from the top, and we will be reading and discussing the first four paragraphs. Today's readers are Sarah Y, Anita L, Devorah S, Eileen M, and Amanda R. Our newcomer greeter is Susie K. The reference number for Tuesday, January 24th, 2017 is 9508. 9508. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. I hear some noise in the background, if you could check to make sure you're muted. Neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah Y to read the 12 steps of OA. Hi, Sarah Y, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in the Dallas area. Um, Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you, Sarah Y. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book at the beginning of Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 1 from the top. We will be reading and discussing the first four paragraphs 
starting with the title, and War Fever Ran High, through Ominous Warning, which I failed to heed. I will ask Devorah S. to read and comment on that on those four paragraphs. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Devorah S. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Chapter 1, Bill's Story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we were new. Young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much amused, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Great. Um, <laughs> I feel like until this point we had a flashback in the movie, and now the movie's beginning with his story, and we know it's going to be a happy ending because we know the book was published and we're all here today and great, but it started somewhere, and it started in Bill's story, and here he is, a young officer, and I, I could relate to so many lines in these, in these paragraphs. Um, for example, you know, um, it says here, I was part of life at last, you know, and in every milestone in my life, whatever I was, a teenager, graduating high school, you know, getting through college, whatever it was, you know, getting married, every stage that I went through, it was, ah, I arrived, I was part of life, and um, and I always, and food was very much a part of it, because um, food represented to me, you know, it was a great, you know, I, I turned to the food, whether I was, you know, I was excited, tired, bored, lonely, but that was you know, the food was always bringing me some kind of relief. So I, I really related to, you know, you know, turning to that food. And especially it was, um, you know, when he says, I was very lonely and then turned to alcohol. So again, you know, what did I do when, when, I, when I was lonely? You know, the best part was, you know, just blocking everybody out and turning to the food and just being with me and my food and, and blocking everyone out. Um you know, he he comes to England, you know, as a soldier. He comes to England. This is World War One, and he's wandering around in Winchester Cathedral, and he finds this um, tombstone and, you know, talks about, you know, a soldier who, whether he died by musket, some kind of gun, rifle, I don't know, or by pot. And um, I looked up pot, and pot is not what we think it is, not marijuana, but it could be, it's pot is a drink, you know, referred to as a drink, the liquor itself, or it's the kind of of container, pot, which they used to drink out of, like this big oversized cup. 
And um, also, they used to make like the the, the liquor in a pot, um, and the bottom of the pot was the dregs of it. That the the, the 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 was the cheap stuff, um, and that's who was given to you know was. I'm sorry. Do I have time? So that too was. That was, wasn't me. Oh, okay. Anyway, so here he was. You know, you could die by drinking. You know the dregs of the stuff, drinking out of these big pots or whatever, and I'm thinking, you know, ominous warning, which I fail to heed, because people, my whole life, you know, family, love people in my family who loved me, who cared about me, you know, my parents, my siblings, you know, even strangers, you know, that I hardly knew, would always say to me, you know, what are you doing? You know, you have so much to live for. You know, why don't you get control of your weight? You know, do something. You're, you, you know, like, come on, where's your willpower? Let's let's do something. And, you know, you're going to die of this. People would say, my doctors would say to me, you know, what are you doing? You know, the blood pressure, the, the diabetes that I developed. You know, this is going to lead to, to life-threatening diseases. And, um, you know, I didn't listen because I knew better. Um, and And, you know, I thought I had a, a better way you know, to to what they suggested. And I didn't want to do it because I knew, um, you know, I just knew. And that was living in me, living in my ego, living that I know that I know that I, I can take care of this thing. Um, little did I know then. And um, so grateful, <laughs> grateful that I'm not living in that today, grateful I'm not living in that ominous warning, um, that you're living in the hope and living in this, program and um, living in the steps um, and um, really grateful to be able to show up today and to be part of this group and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. Well, who would like to share on these paragraphs? This is Leila. Can I share? Mr. R. Okay, let me tell you who I heard so far. I heard Bella. I think I heard Larry, Nessa R, and Kim G. Janet M. Janet M. Nancy R. Janet M. Nancy R. Yeah. Are there any others? Leah M. Hi, Leah M. Okay. Why don't we stop there? Oh, Harlan, I'll add you in. Yeah. Anybody else want to get on? Okay. Bella, go right ahead. Bella G, I believe. Unless I was mistaken. Maybe not. Oh, I am sorry. I was talking to the wall. I'm sorry. Oh, Uh, Bella, you are there. Go right ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful, wonderful paragraph. And it's, it's me. It's all about me. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered the liquor. Yes, I discovered the food. No matter where I was and what I was feeling, if I was feeling 
upset and disappointed and angry, I went to the food. And if I was happy and excited and really proud of myself, I went to the food. And yes, I always heard the same thing. Oh, Bella, come on. Where is your willpower? How come you cannot just do diet and just lose weight? And I did believe to this, that, you know, something is wrong with me and I really don't have a willpower to lose weight and to stick with this. And I remember that once I got a compliment and I, my first reaction was, I called my husband and I said, oh, you know, I got a compliment. Maybe we will celebrate with an ice cream. And it doesn't go together usually. But by me, yes, I understood that if I got a compliment, I deserve an ice cream. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. I can say that this was my past. I am not anymore there. Today I am connected to my higher power that, you know, I know that he loves me and accepts me. And yes, I know that I have a disease, that I have an allergy in the body, and it's nothing to do with me. God gave it to me, and I do believe that it's a present. And yes, when I, I eat those alcoholic food, I just discover the liquor. I just see the food. Thank you, God that I am not there anymore. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Larry K. Good morning, Rebecca. Can you hear me okay? I hear you, Larry K. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, um, Bill's story um, is, is 16 pages. It, it's essentially split up into two halves. In the first eight pages, Bill is going to write about what it was like, and he's going to describe the, the progressive nature of his drinking. And, and then, of course, we'll read later on in a few short years, this guy loses everything. And then in the next eight pages of his story, he's going to tell about what happened and what it's like now. You know, no real difference than, than what we generally hear uh, on, a, on a Sunday special edition oftentimes. And, and so one of the primary reasons Bill's story was included, I mean, obviously a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, why was it included? Well, one of the reasons is it's basically the blueprint for the spiritual program of action. And as we study it, we'll, we'll see his descent into the hell of this disease, uh, perhaps identifying with, its, with parts of it, but we'll also be able to identify where Bill takes each step later on. And of course, this was prior to the evolution of the the sequential process that eventually became the 12 steps as we know them today. And so as I study Bill's story, I'm looking to ignore the differences. You know, I'm not from Vermont, and nor am I a stock analyst, uh, but I'm looking for the similarities. It's all about identification, the similarities of his experiences resulting from drinking and the effect it had on him. So it's identification. That's the key. And yet my, my personal experiences you know, when I first read this early on, I looked for differences rather than similarities. I tried desperately to identify out to this low-bottom drunk rather than identify in. So what was helpful to me was to ask myself, you know, did I eat like Bill drank? Did I think like Bill thought? And did I feel like Bill felt? 
And when we do this, we can, we, you know, we, we'll, we'll identify and not compare. So, so one, of the, one of the primary reasons, you know, that we have this here is identification. I can identify with this guy. And I'm so grateful that we're starting with it. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Nessa R. Hi, this is Nessa R. Did you call on me? I did call on you, Nessa R. Okay, great. I was unmuting, so I didn't hear. So this is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, for me, um, the most significant moment of Bill's at Winchester Cathedral was not um, his... Um, his uh, uh, encounter with the doggerel, but it was actually his experience inside the cathedral before he went outside. And he said, in there, it's very easy to miss. It says, much moved, much moved, because Bill was missing something in his life, just like I was missing something in my life. And Bill was missing a higher power. Um, and he grew up with a higher power. You know, his family uh, was a religious family on both sides. Um, and like me, I also grew up with a higher power, but it had no real resonance in my life. And so, you know, he, um, he went outside. Uh, he was much moved, uh, and he continued on with his life, and he encountered a higher power, which was alcohol. And alcohol became his higher power, filling up that void um, that he had inside that made him be much moved inside Winchester Cathedral. And, you know, like, like Bill, I also discovered food uh, quite early in life, probably much earlier than Bill discovered alcohol, because I guess if he was enlisted, he was probably in his late teens or early 20s, um, I can't really remember from uh, reading his um, many biographies, but um, you know I was much much younger than that. I was like in the single digits, and, and food was my higher power. Um, however, I didn't know until I came into program, even even long prior to recovery, that the higher power that I was longing for uh, was God. Um, with God, and I had to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this disease, into this progressive disease, as, as was stated earlier before, I realized that, you know, the way to get to that higher power is to get rid of the first higher power, um, which for me was food, and for Bill was alcohol. You know, um, I, have, I have two higher powers, but I can only serve one master. And while I'm serving the food, and when I'm a slave to the food, I cannot serve God. You know, I, I always say God is not going to compete with other gods. If I want a little G God of food, God's going to say, you know what, go ahead and try it. You know, get badly hurt, but when you come calling to me, I will be there for you. So I had to get rid of all the blockages, the first one of which was the food, and I had to put down the food entirely, like the doctor says, um, in five different places in the doctor's opinion. But then I was blocked from God by myself, by my selfishness, you know, by my uh, self-centered desires, my self-centered plans. And I had to get rid of that too. I mean, I, I haven't gotten rid of it entirely, obviously, because um, I'm only human. But the way to do that, once I, I put down the food, was to work through the steps. And that's how I found God and filled that void. Um, 
and we're going to see that too in, in Bill's story uh, once he realized what that void was, like in page eight or nine right. of the story. Um, thank you. Um, and it was an incredible journey, uh, both for Bill and for myself, which ended in a very happy ending. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Kim G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So exciting. You know, we just finished the doctor's opinion. So we found out the diagnosis that we have an allergy to the body, obsession of the mind. But the question is, do we have that? You know, what does that look like in a human being? And Larry talked about that. Are we going to identify in with how Bill ate? Like, I, did, he, did I eat like he drank? Did I feel like he felt? Did I think like he thought? Am I recognizing the, excite, the um, progression? We're going to see him go from excitement to necessity to oblivion. You know, and as a sponsor, I have to ask myself, is this how I'm sharing? Is this how, I'm, uh, is this how my meetings are sharing? You know, the idea that, you know, and when I was a kid, I could be on the Jersey Shore eating an ice cream with my dad, giggling. But by the time I'm a teenager and there's family gatherings, I'm in the kitchen binging because I'm so uncomfortable around my cousins. You know, as a kid in Halloween with the pillowcases, getting all the candy and having love, fun and excitement, but then on, all, on Halloween now, I'm alone binging in the house because, you know, I, I don't want to wear any kind of um, costume because I, I, I'm so heavy, I look, I look stupid in all of them. You know, as a young child, I'm playing basketball and we're celebrating at Friendly's having, you know, ice cream sundaes. But by the time I'm in high school, all the school events, I'm home because I'm so awkward and uncomfortable and, and don't belong in that crowd anymore. You know, can I relate into that? Because I have to tell you, if I sat here and I told you about the fact that I'm going to turn 50 in a month and I've never been married, I don't have children and all these different things, I've just identified out like 95% of you. But if I talk to you about the fact that in high school, the only thing I remember, I don't remember my teachers. I could tell you how much I weighed and what size I was. When I tell you about my relatives, I can tell you Aunt Teresa made the best rice pudding and the Greiks had Pop-Tarts that I would sneak in the middle of the night that eat. But when I babysat... I didn't pick the jobs because of the kids. I picked them because of the, what they had in their pantry. But when Halloween came around, I would buy the candy two weeks ahead of time and probably replace it four times before Halloween even happened. That I would sit in my dorm room waiting for my roommate to slice that first slice of Edmonds because I didn't want to take that first slice. And then I would swear to God after she did, I would only have one slice. And then I would, have, I would eat the entire Edmonds and have to go throw the trash out in another floor so that she wouldn't figure it out. So those are the things we're trying to identify in with. I mean, am I doing this at the, at the meeting? But I have to tell you, many of my meetings, you come in 15 minutes late, and you would think it was a marriage counseling meeting. You would think it was a meeting about complaining about your, your spouses or your, your job. My first meeting, in all honesty, was about sexual abuse, and I didn't come back for six months. Are we sharing individually, and are we sharing at meetings so that people can say, not only this is what a compulsive reader is, but can I identify in and say, I have this thing, and if I know I have this thing, the rest of the book is going to be an absolute necessity. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. G. Janet M. Yes. <clears throat> good morning, Rebecca. This is Janice M. And um, good morning to everyone. My name, um, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. This is Bill's story. So what we're, what, what I learned from this is when I read it, I said, hmm, yeah, that's me. 
you know. But then I compared and I said, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, I'm not that bad. And that's exactly what I did when I came into the rooms. I said, yeah, I did that, you know. But you see, I didn't want to be a compulsive overeater. So therefore, the more that I could compare and say that's not me, the more I can, you know, leave and, and, and fool myself. I would justify, you know, I would justify, oh, she has diabetes. That's why she doesn't eat certain substances. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know, not yet, Janice, not yet. So the thing is, we talk about the feelings of Bill. Do you identify with these feelings? Absolutely. I loved approval. I was flattered. I loved approval. I loved the applause because I'm so self-centered. And uh, if you notice, and all these things in the midst of excitement, so you don't have to be, and he was a low bottom. This is how he started. He didn't start low bottom, you know. And he loved, he loved applause. He was in the midst of excitement. What did he do? He discovered liquor. Like me, what did I do? I discovered the effect the comfort of certain foods at eight years old when I would go visit my grandmother on a Friday afternoon, my mind would be on, oh, I'm going to have this particular food. And that was always my solution. If you noticed, it didn't matter when he was lonely, when he was happy like me, when he was bored, he turned to his solution, which was liquor. I turned to my solution with these feelings to foods, certain foods, not all the foods, certain foods that gave me uh, comfort and I had an effect from them. Now notice what he did is on this, you know, this tombstone, what he read, you know, well, yeah, the doctors, you know, warned me, Janice, you know, you're on the borderline. Well, I said, you know, I'm not that bad. But you notice dead is dead. <laughs> Whether I die from this disease or whether I die from a shotgun. One is quick and one is on the layaway plan. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm still on the layaway plan if, if I should not stay recovered uh, because I will die. And this is a warning, but, you know, I have a disease of forgetfulness. And, yeah, you know how much, no matter how much we know, how much I know, still forget. I used to still forget. That's why, you know, it's really ominous warning, ominous something spiritual, warning. God, my higher power was in this right from the beginning. But I wouldn't listen. I'm not a good one. You know, I, I, I forgot. But anyway, with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Jana M. Nancy R. Uh, good morning. Thank you for your service. Uh, good morning to everybody on the line. I, I'm Nancy R., a grateful recovered compulsive reader. I've gotten a lot from the shares this morning, as I do each day, and I listen. Um, it's really something. I've, I've read Bill's story so many times, and the first part of it I never could relate to until I got involved in, in Vision for You, the big book study. And something just jumped out at me, uh, brought back a memory of a, a lady at the church I attended when I was a kid who was extremely obese. She was short and probably weighed three or 400 pounds. And uh, one Sunday she told me, you know what? You're going to be just like me when you grow up. 
And I can remember being seized with uh, fear just for a moment. And and I said to myself, oh, there's no way that I'm going to get that heavy. I was a fat kid, a chubby kid, then a fat kid, then an obese teenager. And uh, it didn't, you know, the, the fear of becoming like her never entered my mind until I, one day I, I did hit that magical mark of 300 pounds and continue. So uh, at this point in Bill's story, he had no idea what the future held for him. As I did when I was a little kid and that lady told me I was going to be like her when I grew up. I had no idea that my uh, disease, well, first I didn't know I had a disease. And I had no idea about the progression of it, that indeed I did become like her. But I'm so grateful um, for Ovidus Anonymous because she died in the disease. I remember going to her funeral and they had to take the doors, remove the doors from the church to get her coffin in because it was so big. Um, thank you, God, that uh, uh, I, that I found a solution. I found, I found a solution uh, to my disease. And uh, today I live in recovery. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy R. <clears throat> Leah M. Thank you. You know, each time I read Bill's story, I'm more humbled by it um, in the way that I identify with it. You know, essentially, Bill's story is his 12-step call. There weren't, you know, uh, an abundance of AA meetings, so uh, Chapter 1 is his story. And it's certainly a frightening, it's a vivid, and it's a detailed account of one alcoholic's descent into madness. It's also eventually going to be an inspiring and uplifting story of his complete recovery. Um, but it provides me with identification, and as I read it year after year, um, you know, with a study such as this, I mean, there is more, um, you know, opportunity to relate. Uh, for instance, this statement, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. You know, I relate to that. Um, from a little kid, I was uncomfortable as a human being. I needed something beyond myself in order to feel comfortable on this planet. Uh, perhaps others looked at my, um, you know, uh, attraction to food as a problem. To me, it was the glue that held me together. And, uh, for some reason, because I later learned I was bodily and mentally different, I got comfortable through food. I looked at it as a solution for life, much like Bill does. I mean, certainly he has, uh, you know, um, excitement here. He has applause. He has, uh, you know, love. Um, but, you know, being human, he's also lonely at times, fearful at times. Uh, depressed at times, and he is developing a relationship. What is he turning to? Much like, what did I turn to? I turned to food. He's turning to alcohol. Certainly he has moments where he's moved. He's moved at the cathedral. I had times where I was moved, touched, but it was quickly blocked out by pomp and worldly clamors and worship of other things. And over time, this is how I continued 
to turn, turning towards the contents of a cellophane bag and a bakery box in order to fill that deep void that I had. The program of recovery and the steps has allowed me to undergo a profound alteration, my reaction to life as a result of being tapped into an unsuspected inner resource so that I no longer need a chemical or some substance outside of myself to seek ease and comfort. I am tethered by something greater, and I am turning to that higher power today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Harlan G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Team Wednesday. Thanks for your service. Can I be heard? You can be heard, Harlan. Excellent. Okay. Harlan G., recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm so glad to be reading Bill's story, and Bill's story is here so we can identify in, as was said before. And there are many things about Bill Wilson that don't appear on these pages that when I study his life helped me identify in. Bill's mother and father divorced in 1906. He was born in 1895. He felt very abandoned by his parents. She had a younger sister, Dorothy, who's going to marry Dr. Leonard Strong. And Dr. Leonard Strong, later in life, we're going to read about that in a a little bit. He's going to hook Bill up with a guy by the name of Willard Richardson, who's on the Rockefeller Foundation. Bill was a very, very determined young man who was marked by the divorce of his parents, which was highly stigmatized in 1906. Very determined. He felt he had to work three times as hard to be half as good. He read in a book that only an aborigine could fashion a boomerang that would actually come back to you. And he worked tirelessly, and he accomplished it. And when I was in East Dorset, Vermont, with uh, my sponsor and a couple of friends, we were there when the Boston Convention was going on. We took a little side trip. We actually saw the boomerang in his room in East Dorset, Vermont. He found a violin up in his grandfather's attic, and he worked tirelessly at the violin and became co-first chair of his school's orchestra. He found a baseball glove up there and became the starting shortstop and co-captain of his school's baseball team. It says in Wikipedia that he was on the football team. That's inaccurate. That's not true. Um, Bill suffered from anxiety his entire life. He suffered from an inferiority complex. He also suffered from depression Uh, when he was 17 years old. The love of his life, Bertha Bamford, this is before Lois, Bertha Bamford went to New York and she was having what was then called a routine surgical procedure. And she died on the operating table. And at age 17, Bill fell into his, one of his many deep, dark depressions. And he suffered from depression his entire life. Bill was a very determined worker and a very determined guy. He passed the Edison test but failed to report for work with Edison because the thought of having a box was just so repugnant for him. The Edison test was a very difficult math and science test, and Bill passed. Very determined, very, very cut down by his alcoholism, as all of us can, can relate to. But Bill Wilson was very human. 
and the things that he's going to do in this story are going to change the world, Time Magazine is going to call him one of the most important 100 people of the 20th century. It is, okay, I'm going to end with this. Bill was very human, and he saved my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Anyone else want to share on these four paragraphs? Melissa Jane M. Anita M. Okay, okay, okay. Wait a second. All I have written down is, I think, Charles H. And then now I just remember I heard Leslie W. Everybody in between, uh, try again. Amy G. Janice B. I heard Amy G. And Janice, I think, B. Yes. Tina S. Tina S. Anita L. Roz G. Do L. Melissa C. Okay, I'll add do L and Melissa C, but I don't think we'll have enough time. So, Charles H., go right ahead. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service, Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. you got to be determined like Bill W. to get up on this line. I'm just joking. Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I can identify with the big book saying, you know, there is four things, prayers, promises, conditions, and warnings. And, 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 and what, what a great warning um, that, I'm at a, that I'm at a tombstone, and I forgot ominous warnings against strong drink. And then, you know, all these warnings right here, um, I forgot ominous warnings against strong drink. And I can identify, and I thank the visionaries too for letting me know about the unbeliever. And and look how young Bill W. was. You know, I think of that song, Forever Young, I want to be forever young, and think this disease won't cut you down, right? This disease will cut you down because he was at a, he was in, in a, he was in a war, right? He was part of a war, and because of his addiction, he was definitely in a war. But he was at a tombstone laughing and drinking Colbert or whatever he was drinking. I can identify in with that. Also with I'm, 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 a part of, I'm, I'm part of life, right? I'm a part of life. This, this, this brings me to Hank P., the unbeliever, that, oh, I'm so young, I got enough time. No, you don't. No, you don't, Charles H., and I don't know if there's any young people on the line right now that's um, morbidly obese or uh, uh, thin, thinner than a line. You don't have a lot of time. <laughs> you don't have, and we'll find out. Um, we'll find out more as we keep going. But the I I I I I is easing God out. And I said, um, ego is early grave option. And he's at he's at a tombstone. So that's definitely an early grave option, especially if I'm at a tombstone. Binge it. I could so identify with Bill, but um, at what the warnings right here. If you're in this group right now, please pay homage to, to warnings and respect your disease because it's, it's coming to cut you like a boomerang. And um, and that's all I got. We got a lot of people. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. Before Leslie W. starts, could everyone who uh, tried to speak up, check their line, because I think there's some interference and open mic. Leslie W. 
Thank you, Rebecca. This is Leslie W. Um, recovered in Tennessee. Can you hear me okay? I hear you, but there's a little bit of an echo. Um, echo. Probably is okay. not you. But go ahead, Leslie W. Everybody else, check your phone, please. Start okay. Is that, is that better? A little bit? I think that is better, Leslie W. All right. Go it might have been my Bluetooth. Thanks. This is Leslie W. Recovered in Tennessee. And I just wanted to share on this because, you know, um, I love how it was shared about identifying in, you know, I, when I first picked up this big book, I had no clue um, how I was, I could not see the connection at all. I was 30 years old when I walked into the doors of OA and I could, I didn't understand how I had anything to do with an alcoholic. I mean, my problem was food, right? I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drunk. Um, I don't have that kind of a problem, Um, but I did. And it took me many years to really, for that to really sink in and for the delusion that I could eat like other people had to be smashed. And um, I just want to break it down in a different way because for me, um, the way I identified in was when he says I was very lonely and again, turned to alcohol, you know, for me, my relationship with food was always tied to loneliness and depression. And I'll break it down even further for you because um, it's like it's like peeling the layers of an onion for me. You know, my disease was at the center, was at the core. Um, but above that layer was a spirit of depression, a spirit of fear, a spirit of loneliness. Um, above that was this performance anxiety that I had. You know, I mean, I, I pursued a lot of worthwhile endeavors just like Bill um, however, I, I had this, this overlying fear of failure. Um, I had unrealistic expectations for myself. Um, I placed high expectations on myself and also, um, the expectations of others. And I felt the weight of that every single day of my life. Um, and while I pursued worthwhile things, the reason I pursued them was skewed. Um, you know, I needed that applause. You know, I've I've been on stages singing in front of a, a thousand people and still felt lonely, um, still felt afraid because I needed it so much. I needed to feel other people say, you are okay, because I never felt okay. I never felt like I measured up. I never felt like I was good enough. And whether that was something that was taught to me or whether that was something that is that I was born with, it was it 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 had a close I mean it was it was a close connection to why I picked up the food. That's why I picked up the food. Because I was sick. Um I didn't have that relationship with my higher power. I didn't feel a sense of fulfillment and peace um that comes from that. So I I found it someplace else. Um, So I'm so grateful that through the, thank you, Rebecca. So I'm so grateful that through the 12 steps, I have found a way back to uh, God and back to um, who I'm really created to be. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. Amy G. 
Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland, actually traveling through New Jersey to shout out to my Jersey girlfriends out there. But I just wanted to also focus on the I was lonely and I again turned to alcohol. Again, to me, is a very significant word here. I mean, what's happening in the first paragraph already, we are seeing the progression of this twofold disease, the physical allergy and the mental obsession. When it says he discovered alcohol, when I think of discovered, I think like, you know, something, you find something, it's cool, it's exciting. And the fact that he discovered alcohol reminds me so much of how I discovered food and my binge foods and those binging, binge ingredients that I knew that when I ate them, it did something for me. It was a discovery, and my body took to it. And then when he again turns to alcohol because he's lonely, you know, it's already producing an effect that he's searching for again and again, just like I did. I mean, I can remember my earliest memories in elementary school, waiting for the school bell to ring, because I wanted the effect that I was going to get when I got home by, again, ingesting my favorite pastry or my favorite binge foods, whatever those would be. So already I was developing a thought process that was geared towards this mental obsession. And I had a physical allergy because I discovered the effect that those binge ingredients had on my system when I ingested them. And it didn't matter what the circumstances were. I have a friend in program. Maybe you heard her on the line say it, mad, sad, angry, or glad. It didn't matter. I wanted the effect that produced what those binge foods gave for me, ease and comfort. And, you know, normal people, when they're lonely or whatever, you know, they pick up a phone and they call someone. They find other options out there besides turning to a mood-altering substance. But here we are in the beginning of the story, already in the first paragraph, we are at, again, again, a repetition, a pattern, a habit, an addiction. And that's exactly what I had developed as well. I wanted the effect because I was restless, irritable, discontent. I like what other people are saying. All I can remember is feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. I had a dis-ease. I was dis-eased with living in my body, living in life circumstances, and I wanted ease and comfort. I didn't know any other way. I discovered an effect produced by eating those binge foods, and boy, did I search after it from there on out, and it continued to progress. This is a dark before the dawn, but I have to identify into what it is that I'm reading and what I'm looking at, and I identify in definitely. And I'm so grateful for this program, and I'm grateful for Bill. And I'll just wrap up by saying I, I recently watched a video of him sharing his story and how powerful it was to see the actual person sharing. And I know it's a program of principles over personalities, but I'm so grateful. With that, I'll pass. I'll pass. Thanks, Amy G. Janice B. Thank you, Rebecca. <clears throat> Good morning, visionaries. This is Janice B. Recovered compulsive overeater in Vermont. And um, I identify in here. I identify in with um, with the elation that Bill is expressing when he was finally a part of life at last and um and i and and i want to contrast that with um my experience uh with food and um my life and since a a young girl 
you know, I can remember finding boxes of Jell-O, um, and I would just eat the Jell-O secretly, steal it, and steal steal candy in the first, steal money from my mother's purse when I was in the first grade, so I could buy candy and share it and try and become a part of a part of life and um, and. Uh, Friends, I, I always felt disconnected and out, outside. I always felt like an outsider. And um, food relieves that feeling for me. And, uh, and so um, I was very lonely. I was, I was really lonely. And I used food to escape. Um, and I can relate to the part of life at last when, like, I, I discovered the relief when I took, took in alcohol and food and, and felt like it was easier to connect with people. And so um, I was always looking outside myself to fill the hole that was inside me. And that hole can never be filled with, um, with outside stuff like food, alcohol, love and affection from others even, you know, that's not a permanent solution. And what I am discovering is is the what I was looking for is inside me, and um, my higher power is inside me, and and that's where I can where I can and inside others and connecting those parts of me that part of me with the, with others. And sharing it is is where I get my awe mm. now. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Janice B. Tina S. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, Tina S. Recovered compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Uh, great meeting. You know, I, I I related to a lot of people that shared. You know, when I first came in and read this book. I just certainly identified out, and, uh, you know, I thought it was just a novel, and it wasn't a very good one at that, and so the food, for sure, you know, brought me to a place of uh, being teachable, you know, so that I could start to study and be a student of this book, and so, therefore, then I started through somebody else's experience and, and sharing with me their experience, you know, I started to identify in uh, instead of comparing, because I had a lot of comparisons to to throw at you, you know, and uh, you know one of the things that I love about Bill's story is that I relate to what so many people have already said, you know, I, he was just so uncomfortable in his own skin, you know, he, and he was living life, and at the age he was, he he still didn't know how to deal, and so what his solution was for a very long time was booze, you know, and um, you know my solution for a very long time was food, and until it no longer worked, and. And you know, and I just, and I, and I love that everybody shares this. That you know, that I had identified. Did I, did I eat the way Bill drank? 
Did I think the way Bill thought or did I feel the way Bill felt? And I certainly did. And that was just after time, you know, because when I first got here, you know, Tina was running the show, just give me the diet plan and I'm good to go. Well, you know, I stuck around and I'm really grateful that I'm able to do that and and I'm glad to be here. So thanks. That'll pass. Thank you, Tina S. I'm afraid we've run out of time in the first hour, so Anita, Roz, Du, and Melissa C., and anyone else who wants to share may have the opportunity in the second hour. At this time, I want to thank everyone who did share and who tried to and uh, who read and um, helped out and participated or just listened please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Eileen M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Hi, this is Eileen M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New Hampshire. Can you hear me? I hear you, Eileen M. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.